Praise God. What a great morning of worship. What a great time of coming before His throne. Thanks, worship team, for leading us there. So grateful for today and all that God's going to teach us. This morning, we're beginning a brand new series called The Road Less Traveled. And I'm excited about this series because I believe God's going to challenge us over this summer and change us as we walk through the book of 1 Corinthians. And it's so deep and it's so rich and so good. And I believe God has a word for all of us. So I'm excited that we're all here today and we're ready to study God's word You may recognize this poem. This was written by Robert Frost, 1920. And Robert Frost wrote this, and and he said, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler along I stood, and looked down one as far as I could, to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. You know what's so powerful about that to me is this, is that every one of us, we have that decision to make in our lives. And we stand and we ponder and we look down and there's two paths, right? The way of the world and it's well-worn and so many people travel that way. It just seems kind of natural. It's like everybody's doing it. This is what you call to do. And yet there's a God who beckons us and a God who calls us and a God who reaches out to us and says, come this way. Follow the path of Christ. And it is the road less traveled, but it's the road of life. And it's the road of peace, and it's the road of purpose, and it's the road of hope, and it's the road of knowing joy, deep, everlasting joy. And God says, come, follow me on the road less traveled. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, it's in the New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, then Acts and Romans, and then you get to First and Second Corinthians. Or maybe you have a mobile device with you, you can access the scriptures online and track along with us as we unpack the Word of God today. Also, we'll put the words on the screen so you can follow along with what God's Word has to say. Now, what we're going to see this morning in this study is we're talking about this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church there in Corinth. And Corinth was a really, it was a a powerful city at this time. And I want to put a map up here and, and, and just kind of show you, give you some perspective of kind of where Corinth is. If you look, you see Rome over here in the top, and Rome was the world power, right? Rome dominated the Roman Empire. So you have Rome, then you have Corinth and Athens. So Corinth is a major city in Greece. It is sitting on a seaport. It is open to trade by land or by sea. You can kind of get some perspective and see down here where Jerusalem is. You'll notice the line and kind of Paul's second missionary journey. And how he went up and he came back down through Athens and then into Corinth. But there were really three things that defined Corinth as a city. The first was this. The first was money. If you notice this strategic location, it was a very affluent city. It was wealthy. Uh, A a lot of people, you know, historians go back and they record about 250,000 free people and 400,000 slaves lived in Corinth at this time. And so you can imagine, I mean, it's almost two to one free to slaves. So there was a lot of people who had a lot of money, owned slaves, very affluent place. The second thing that defined Corinth was this, wisdom. It was a city not far from Athens. It was a city in Greece. 
The Greeks were known for their rhetoric. They were known for their philosophy. You know, they didn't have TV to watch and, you know, all their shows that were happening. And so what they did was the men would go out and they would debate. And they would reason and they would talk about philosophy and religion and they would spend all their time going back and forth, back and forth. And so it was a place of culture. It was a place of philosophy, of wisdom. The third thing that defined it was this. It was a place of pleasure. Pleasure. There are a lot of temples there in Corinth. A lot of places to go for pagan worship. But one of the major temples was the temple to the goddess Aphrodite. Now anybody know what the goddess of Aphrodite was, right? The goddess of love. And it's by a lot of estimates around a thousand temple prostitutes were there at the temple to Aphrodite. So you can imagine what's going on there. So you think about this city and the culture. It was a very affluent city. It was a city that was happening, but it was also a very immoral city. Uh, people would talk about, they would say, you know, if people were sexually immoral, they were saying, oh, you're like a Corinthian. You know, it's kind of like, oh, that's what they do. That was that kind of thing, right? You know, you might kind of think, Las Vegas today, you know, you just kind of go, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Really? I mean, you know, that doesn't work that way. But that was kind of that thing that happened and kind of what people thought about Corinth back then. Lots of money, lots of glamour, lots of glitz. But there was a lot of things going on there. So the Apostle Paul, he comes from Athens, he comes down to Corinth. And there in Corinth, he starts leading people to Christ and a church is planted. And so he comes back, he spends about 18 months there, and he goes over to Ephesus, and he sends this letter back to the church in Corinth, and he says, hey guys, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to stay strong, because it's easy to allow the world to slip in. And maybe you started on this path for Christ, but it's easy to look back at your life and go, whoa, what happened here? You know, my life's become about money. My life's become about, you know, philosophy, or my life's become about pleasure. And you just kind of start to drift away. And it was so easy for the Christians there in Corinth to do that. And so Paul writes this letter to encourage them, to challenge them, and to say, hey, you are in the world, but you are not of the world. You are different. You are different. And you're on the road less traveled. And what I love about 1 Corinthians is we're going to spend the whole summer unpacking this great book of the Bible. We're going to walk verse by verse. Today we'll be in verse, chapters 1 and 2, going verse by verse through there, talking about it's all about Christ. Next week we'll talk about finding our identity in Christ. But in this book, he, he talks about marriage. He, he talks about the resurrection. You know, what's the afterlife like? You know, what does it mean? You know, what's going to happen when we all die? Because we're all going to die. It's just going to happen. I mean, then he talks about spiritual gifts in, you know, chapter 12 and 14. The love chapter, chapter 13, where the Apostle Paul is his most beautiful chapter in the Bible, but he contrasts what is real love compared to what the culture says love is and the sexual immorality that goes on. And so it's going to be a great study, and I'm so excited about it, and I'm glad you're here today. So let's dive in. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sophonies, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ten times in these first nine verses, the Apostle Paul says, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, what, what Paul is saying is it's all about Jesus. Now, Lord is not Jesus' first name. You know, Lord is, is, a, is a sign of reverence, a sign of, you know, he's the king of kings, he's the Lord of lords. Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Christ means Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah, the one to whom we praise, the one to whom we worship, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, Paul was a missionary, right? And he wrote this letter. If you turn with me, if you're in 1 Corinthians, I want to just give you some context. If you go to Acts chapter 18, Acts chapter 18. So just go back a little ways. Uh, A lot of us have been reading through the Bible. We're on this 24-month plan on our next step of reading through the Bible together. And we've been reading right now in Leviticus and Acts. And so if you haven't taken that step, I want to encourage you. You you can download the Rolling Hills app, and it'll give you a reading plan. You can pick up the passage of the day. There's even a blog that kind of talks about some of the passages. Great way to grow spiritually. Great way to go deeper in the Word and deeper in the truth. And we were reading this week in Acts chapter 18. And it tells us this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So here's what happens, right? Paul's on his missionary journey, he goes to Athens. From Athens he feels God calling him to go to Corinth. He comes over to Corinth, and Paul was a tent maker. I love that, right? I mean, what Paul would do is he would go to a city, he would make tents, he would make enough money then to go on mission trips. It was awesome, right? It's like many of you guys. I mean, you know, so many of you, we just had a mission team that returned from the Amazon and, and working down the villages along the Amazon. You know, you sleep in hammocks on a boat and you go to village to village. Incredible. We've got about 40 people leaving in, a, in about three weeks to go to Moldova to work with orphans there. And, and so many of you, I mean, you, you work and you make money, but you realize it's opportunity for me to use that for the glory of God. That's what Paul was doing. Right? That's what Paul was doing. And so he would make tents. He met Priscilla and Aquila, these people. And then he would go to the synagogue. And in the synagogue, he would talk about Jesus. Now, the synagogue was in every major city. There was a a synagogue. And it was a place where Jews would come. And it was their place of worship. It was also a place where they had education. And it was a community center. Weddings would take place. And so Paul would go in and say, hey, guys, listen. We've been studying the Old Testament, right? You've been diving into the Old Testament. But I want to tell you, the Messiah is here. Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. And people were coming to know Christ all over the known world. People were giving their lives to Jesus. Look at verse 7 in Acts 18. It says, Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. How cool was that, right? I mean, revival is breaking out in this city. People are coming to know Jesus, Jews, and Greeks, and lives are being changed and transformed, and the church in Corinth starts. And God is moving there. And there are influential people there. There are slaves there, because like the Bible says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. It was a church that was diverse, and it was a church that was growing and good things were happening. God was moving. Lives were being changed. People were being baptized. I mean, it just reminds me of what God's doing here. You know, it was exciting. And God is doing great things. And then keep going to verse 4. Paul says, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way in all your speaking and all your knowledge because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Christ our Lord, is faithful. 
So he's writing to the church, right? He keeps saying, it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the one who calls you and redeems you, who saves you. In Jesus, you find salvation. Jesus is the one who sanctifies you on the journey. You grow and mature in your relationship with God. And then Jesus is the one you fall into his arms when you die. Whatever age that is, that we fall into the arms of Jesus. And so he keeps pointing them to Jesus. Now there's two Greek words that are used throughout 1 Corinthians. Uh, one is ekklesia. Ekklesia is what the church, it means the church. And it literally means this, the called out ones. The, called, the church is the called out ones. That God has a plan, that God has a different path. The, the second word is hagios. It's a Greek word that means Christian, but even deeper it means this, a saint. A saint. Now probably you don't think of yourself and go, Hi, I'm a saint, you know. <laughs> Probably most of the time you're like, hi, I'm a sinner, you know, because I mess up, that's what I do, I blow it, you know, I make mistakes, you know. But, but really, you are defined in Scripture as a saint. And what does a saint imply? A saint implies separation. A saint implies that there's something different. You see, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And so as we walk this path less traveled, as we walk this road, yes, we need money, but money doesn't become our God. Money doesn't rule our life. Our life is not lived for amassing more and more stuff and more and more things. We see money as an opportunity to do good. And yet we need to provide for our needs. But God blesses us and he provides for us. But we also have a chance to be generous. And that's why believers were always using the resources that God gave them to be generous, to help others, to make a difference in their lives. Yes, we know wisdom is important. And we study and we go to the best schools and we want to have a great education. We love to study science. But we also know there's something deeper. There is a godly wisdom that comes when you're on this path. There's a godly wisdom that comes and an intuition of the Spirit working in you and working through you. And then he says, pleasure. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. He said, don't settle for the cheap imitation of sexual immorality. I want you to experience deep, abiding, rich joy. I want you to have a great life. I want you to enjoy life. And so Paul's saying, church, 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 don't get lost in this path over here. You take the road less traveled. You follow. You walk with God, and God will do great things in you and do great things through you. See, what was happening, though, is some of the ways of the world were slipping into the church. And people were drifting off the path. And so Paul writes this. If you keep going in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some of, from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. But Paul's going, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm hearing reports that people are following people. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, you don't follow me, Paul says. Right? You don't follow Apollos. Apollos was a guy who was a Jew from Alexandria. He was a great communicator. He had come there. And people were like, woo, I love Apollos, you know. And then there was Cephas. Cephas is literally Peter, the apostle Peter. And then other people were like, I'm following Christ. He's going, no, 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 you follow Jesus. God puts people in your life to encourage you. God puts people in your life to help you. But your relationship was with Christ. Your relationship was with him. And sometimes, you know, it becomes about our family's faith or our church's faith or somebody else's faith. It's your faith. It's what decision you make. What road do you take as you follow? Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I'm thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that none of you can say we were baptized into my name. 
Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul, Paul's going, look, baptism is important, but you're not baptized into the name of the person baptizing you. You're baptized into the name of Christ. Now, baptism is an important part of your spiritual walk, of your spiritual journey. But baptism doesn't save you. What saves you is your commitment to Christ, right? It's, it's like my wedding ring. You know, this wedding ring it doesn't make me married. What makes me married is my commitment to Lisa. I stood, I made a commitment to her. And then I wear this wedding ring as an outward symbol of my commitment that I've made. And baptism is an outward symbol. I love baptism this morning. It's so beautiful. It's an outward symbol. Hey, we're following Jesus. And it wasn't my parents' decision or somebody else. I'm thankful for the people in my life, but I make a commitment to follow Christ. And some of you, God may be speaking to you about taking that next step of following Christ through believer's baptism. Or some of you may be at the beginning of this road and in your life you're saying, hey, which way do I go? And you're still struggling there. And God's saying, follow Christ. It's all about Christ. He comes here to this passage and he's talking about the sovereignty of God. How God and God's plan and God's purpose, God did this, God ordained this. He says in verse right here, if you keep going, verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased, though through the foolishness of what was preached, to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Isn't that great? The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. Oh yeah, we get that. We live on a planet, and I love science, and I love studying, but you know, it's amazing as you just look and you start to unpack, and science unpacks, they're like, wow, this, this world is complicated. It's incredible. I mean, if the earth was just a little bit closer to the sun, we'd all burn up. A little bit further away, we'd all freeze, you know? And yet, God in his grace and his mercy puts us perfect exactly where we are, you know? God created us. We have an eye that can focus all the way back there and focus here and a mind that can process. God is good. And what Paul is saying is God in his sovereignty and his grace ordained that he would send his son Jesus Christ. And for some it's a stumbling block. You see, a lot of the Jews were looking for a political Messiah. As they read the Old Testament, they were waiting for a Messiah who would come in on the back of a stallion and conquer Rome. Right? They were waiting for a war to break out and that they would conquer Rome and dethrone Rome and the Jews would be have a place of prominence. And Paul's going, no, 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 no. God was doing something even deeper God was sending Jesus to conquer sin. He was sending Jesus to conquer death eternally. Not just a place of prominence on the, you know, 70, 80, 90 years we have on this earth, but for eternity. And people are like, what? And for the Greeks, the Greeks, you see, in their whole system, right, their gods, they didn't care about man. If you were to describe the Greek, you know, mythology and the Greek gods and you go into Zeus and all, they were so apathetic to man. Man was just like, whatever. And for them to think that there was a God who really cared about people? I mean, really? And Paul's going, no, God cares. 
God didn't just set the world in motion and then back away. God is actively involved. God cares about your life. God cares about what decisions you make. God cares about the people you hang out with. God cares about what's going on in the brokenness, in the hurt, in the pain. God loves you. And God started drawing people to himself and people are going, yes, and they're giving their lives to Christ and God's doing the miracles and other people are like, no, no, I can't understand it. It doesn't make sense. And God's going, it's called faith, right? It's called faith. But you understand as you unpack the word of God, God reveals his truth that there is a bigger story involved here. There is a bigger story happening than, than just what we see. God is at work, and God is for us. And you and I who are on that journey, who know Jesus, and we're walking that path, you understand it. You see God do what only God can do. And you're just, sometimes you're overwhelmed. You just start to cry. You're just like, thank you, God, that you care about me. That you care about me. That you love me. He says, brothers, right? Think of what you were. When you were called, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. He says, you know what, I mean, think about your life. It wasn't that you were so good and you had so much money and you were so influential that God said, wow, I've got to send Jesus to die for you. I mean, you're unbelievable, you know? No, you look at our lives and we go, man, I've made mistakes. I've messed up. You know, I'm trying. I'm progressing. But, but in my life, I struggle. And yet there's a God who still steps in. And a God who still says, I love you. I believe in you. And he said, if you're going to boast about anything, you don't boast about what's in your bank account. You don't boast about what's in your 401k. You don't boast about what the title is of your job. You don't boast about the things of this world. If you're going to boast, boast about this, that there is a God who loves me. If there is a God who's redeemed me and restored me, even in the mistakes that I've made, there is a God who cares about me. And if I'm going to boast about anything, I want to boast about Jesus. It's all about Christ. For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. It is a gift of God. Not by works, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us. Lest no man should boast. It's not by works. It's not by what we do. It's about what he's done. What God has done for us. And so he says, church, 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 remember that. You are all together in this story. You're all together in redemption. You owe one another a loyalty, but it's the grace of God working in you and through you. None of us are perfect, but all of us are forgiven. And we're redeemed. And we're on a journey together. And we're walking a road less traveled so he says in chapter 2, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. Now, I love that. You know why? Because Paul's saying this. Hey, when I came from Athens to Corinth, I was scared. <laughs> I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't, know, I didn't know if you guys were going to accept me. I didn't know if you were going to reject me. I didn't know if I would be beat up or put in prison. 
Paul says, I was scared. And that's encouraging to me, you know why? Because a lot of times God calls us to do things and we're scared, right? I mean, let's be honest, you know, God's been prompting us to go on a mission trip. We're like, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen if I go to Moldova and it's right next to Ukraine. I, I don't even know if these kids are going to like me or accept me. I mean, if I go down the Amazon, am I going to eat be eaten by a crocodile, maybe, oh, like, what's going to happen to me? And we, we have this fear, it's natural. Or sometimes God, you know, prompts our heart, we're praying, and God says, hey, reach out to a coworker. Tell them you're praying for them, or invite somebody to church. And, and our initial reaction is, uh, I don't know, God. <laughs> I'm a little scared about that. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I get to that sometimes, too. I mean, even in my neighborhood, I'm like, there's people I need to invite. I mean, I don't know. You know, I need to invite them to church. I need to talk to them. I'm always trying to find the right time. And Paul says, I had those same feelings. But God called me, and I came there, and I was obedient, and God moved, and God worked. And for you and I, you know, it's it's so great. It's not like you argue people into the kingdom. He said it wasn't with superior wisdom, you know, or eloquence that I talked you into coming a Christian. I was just being real. I was being authentic. I was telling you what God has done in my life. I was telling you about the joy that I've found on this road less traveled. And God moved in your life and redeemed you. And God's inviting us to be a part of his story. And God's inviting us to share his story. It's a story of grace and a story of faith and a story of love. And it's beautiful. And when people hear it, their lives are changed. But so many times Satan keeps us from ever stepping out because of that fear. And he's saying, no, 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 come follow. And then verse 6, he says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. So he talks about, you know, manly wisdom. And now he's going to talk about godly wisdom. Godly wisdom. But not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom. A wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. What's he saying? He's saying when you take the road less traveled, right, and God becomes the Lord of your life and you receive Jesus Christ in your heart, God places within you his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives you wisdom and discernment. And it's different than worldly wisdom, right? There's sometimes you're praying and God prompts your heart, you know, and says, hey, will you reach out to somebody? Send them an email. And you're like, why? Just send them an email. Just check on them. And you do it and then they respond. They're like, how did you know what was going on? What do you mean? You know, I was going through this really difficult time. I was going through this hard time. How did you know? And you're like, well, the Holy Spirit prompted me and I just reached out to you. There's times you have decisions to make about a job or an opportunity. There's times that you're praying and God says, do this. And you're like, well, financially it doesn't really make sense. Or, or, you know, logistically, I don't know if that's the right thing. And God says, do this. And you do it. And you look back on hindsight and you're like, wow, that was brilliant. Thank you, God. You know, and God's going, yeah, because I am with you. And I'm discerning in you. I am giving you wisdom that's not just of this world, but that's of me. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truth in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. 
The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And what he says is on this road, on this path, on this journey, that we develop the mind of Christ. That we pray, that we read the word, that we study, and so we discern what God wants us to do. And God's inviting you, and God's inviting me, and he's saying, take the road less traveled. Take the road less traveled. Because no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who know him, who trust him, who follow him. You see, it's all about Christ. It says in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He'll make your path straight. Follow, trust. His name was William Borden and he graduated high school at the age of 16 from Chicago, lived in Chicago. He was the heir of the family fortune of the Borden family. But at the age of 16, his parents decided to send him on a trip around the world because he graduated high school. It was a big deal. And on his trip around the world, his eyes were opened. He had accepted Christ under the ministry of Dwight L. Moody. And, and while he was going around the world, he saw the poverty, he saw the hurt, he saw the pain, he saw the brokenness. And, and he came back and he told his parents, he said, Mom and Dad, I, I think I want to be a missionary. And his dad was like, but you're going to inherit millions of dollars. He said, I understand that. His dad said, well, why don't you think about it for a while? He went off to Yale University. And while he was at Yale, he, he took all these philosophy classes. And while he was sitting there, he just said, there's got to be more to this. There's got to be more to life. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. He went to Princeton Theological School, and when he graduated from Princeton, he told his parents, I feel called to be a missionary. His dad said, well, you're giving up millions of dollars. He said, I understand that, but I'm going to go. And he boarded a ship headed to China. And at the age of 25, on his, on his way to China, he stopped off in Egypt to learn Arabic because he had a heart for the Muslim people. And while he was in Egypt, he was helping some people, and then he contracted spinal meningitis. And at the age of 25, William Borden died. News came back to the States about William Borden's death, and all the major newspapers carried it. And people were wanting to hear about what happened to William Borden. And you know what took place in our own United States? A revival broke out. Thousands and thousands of men and women started giving their hearts and their lives to Christ because they said there has to be more to this life than just what we're doing here in the coal mines, just what we're doing trying to make money, just living for this. There's got to be more. And here's a guy, he maybe only had 25 years, but there was something different about him and the way that he lived. When his Bible was shipped back, his parents opened the Bible and there were three slips of paper in there. One was written on the day when he told his parents, hey, I, I'm leaving the family fortune, I'm going to be a missionary. And it just simply said this, no reserve, no reserve. The, the second piece of paper was written when he boarded the ship going to China as a missionary and it said this, it said no retreat, no retreat. The third piece of paper was written a month before his death while he was there in Egypt with spinal meningitis and it said this, no regret, no regret. No reserve, no retreat, no regret. You see, here's a guy who said, you know what, I'm going to take a road less traveled. And I'm going to do something for the glory of God with whatever days I have on this earth. Men and women, we don't know how many, times, how many years we have on this earth. We may have 25, we may have 50, we may have 70, we may have 80, we may have 90. But the fact of the matter is this, our life is short. 
And so what are we going to do? Are we going to take this huge road over here and just go the way of the world and then fade out? Or are we going to say, no, whatever time I have, I want to live it for the glory of God. I want to make a difference in the lives of the people around me. I want to make a difference in the lives of people in the world. For whatever time I have, I want to make an impact for Christ. And whether you're William Borden or your Mother Teresa or whether you're Katie Davis or whether you're you and me, two roads diverged in a wood. And I chose the road less traveled. And it's made all the difference. What road will you choose? Which way will you walk? What life will you live? Maybe for you today, it's a day of salvation. And God's been drawing you to himself over and over again and inviting you. Maybe for you today, it's a day of saying, okay, I'm going to get serious. I want to be baptized. I want to follow. Maybe for you today, it's a day to say, you know what, I want to get past my fear. I've been afraid of really selling out and being all that God wants me to be. Maybe today is a day that you choose the road less traveled. I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I don't know where you are right now, but spiritually I know this, God is here. God is here. And God loves you even more than you love yourself. And there is a God who has broken into this world and sent his son, Jesus, to redeem and to restore. And you matter to him. And whatever you're going through in life today, I want to tell you, you're not alone. There's a God who hears your prayers. And there's a God who will answer. Will you be honest with him today? If you were to say, the goal of my life is, would it be the way of the world? Or would it be Christ? Father God, here we are, gathered together today. And Father, I pray that you draw us to your heart. I pray that we could hear your heart beating beating with love for us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for hope and for salvation, for life, for forgiveness and redemption. Thank you for a second chance and a third chance and a fourth and a 50th and a 70th and a 200th chance. But today I pray, oh Father, that we would take this road less traveled, that we would follow you and that we would hold on to Jesus with everything in our lives. God, all of us are going through different things and I pray right now that you would wrap your arms around us today and that we would find peace and strength in you. Thank you, God, that you love us. Thank you, God, that you care about us. And thank you for Jesus who died for us to allow us to live a different way. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen, amen, amen. After the service, I'll be here. There'll be people on our staff, our pastoral care team. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't. But God does. And you've got a church that wants to walk with you and wants to pray with you and wants to tell you you're not alone. You're not alone. At this time, I want to invite our ushers to come forward. And it's a chance for us to give back to God, a chance for us to invest in his kingdom and for his glory and, and, and to be generous. And so as our ushers come, if you're a first-time guest, all we ask is that you would give us your communication card and we could follow up with you and tell you what God's doing. 
If you have a prayer request, write it on the back of that communication card. And we would love to follow up with you and pray with you as well. So let me pray for us right now. God, thanks for an opportunity to give back. God, we know that everything we have comes from you. <laughs> you are the one who blessed us. You're the one who provides for us financially and in so many ways, God. And so we just want to honor you with our lives. We want to give our lives back to you. So take what is given and use it, God, for your glory that many people will know about Jesus because of the way we live. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and we give. Amen. Amen.